Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Very pleasant. Good morning to all of you. Our visitors, we're very grateful for your presence. And those online, we welcome you. We're in Romans 15 today. Last week, as I was going home, I replayed in my mind my class. I do that all the time. You, you just hear it one time. I have to do it one time before I get here, one time while I'm here, and one time when I leave. So I have to put up with it three times. That's the honest truth. So as I thought about my presentation, I thought about an illustration I gave that's a good illustration, but was not well explained. I want to go back and revisit that for just a minute. We were talking about a person esteeming one day above another and let every person be convicted in his own mind. And I used an illustration that uh, showed both sides of that in uh, a tradition of the Jews about the Passover came about. And uh, they served at the Passover five cups of wine. Now, this is not in the Bible, but it came about to be a tradition shortly after the Passover. The four, four cups of wine, number one, I will take care of you. Number two, I will deliver you. Number three, I will redeem you. Number four, I will acquire you. Those are the four cups of wine they drank. We believe that Jesus offered the third cup of wine, I will redeem you, when he gave the Lord's Supper. That makes most sense. But there was a fifth cup of wine. That cup of wine was not drunk. It was set on a table for Elijah the prophet. Elijah had been dead a number of years, and Elijah was to come back as they were brought into the land. Now, that doesn't mean as they were carried into the promised land. It meant as they received the full promises of Abraham, they would come back and he would precede the Messiah and announce that the Messiah would come. Jesus Christ, or he didn't call him Jesus, but Christ would come. That was their tradition. That was their belief because an Old Testament prophet had said before he came, Elijah would come. John the Baptist represented Elijah, but he denied being Elijah because can't get into all that. He was Elijah, we see in that in a figure. But anyway, I pointed out that a family, a Jewish family or even a Gentile family, might recognize the Passover, which happens around Easter, the celebration of it, and might tell the family a story about the Passover, might even serve unleavened bread, might just have a recognition of the Passover. And that's no problem. That's a matter of judgment. It's a matter of teaching. But the point I was trying to make is that a person, a family, could not, would not be right for them to come and talk about the fifth cup of wine and they're waiting for Elijah to come and drink of that wine. Because actually those Jews today that are conservative Jews take that position. 
at the Seder, the Passover feast, S-E-D-A-R, at the Seder, they set a fifth cup of wine on the table, leave the door open, and they let a child look at that cup all the time and see if it trembles. And if it does, that's Elijah drinking from it, a sign of Elijah coming. And then Elijah is the sign of Jesus or the Christ coming. And I pointed out that it would be wrong for a family to do that today because Christ has already come. And uh, that's not a matter of judgment, it's a matter of doctrine. Matter of judgment, if you want to teach about the Passover on that particular time, tell what it was, even eat unleavened bread, but not a matter of judgment when you reach out and say, now we're going to set a cup of wine here and see if Elijah will come and drink of it. Not so, it's ridiculous. It's a violation. It's like John's baptism. Those 12 men in Ephesus learned the true baptism and they were baptized again. Yes, John's baptism was for the remission of sins, but it was a baptism of repentance to believe on Christ who would come after. Christ had already come. That invalidated John's baptism. And they had to be baptized again for the remission of sins. Already one time, but not into the body of Christ. And it was not a proper kind of baptism. So if you have any questions on that, please let me know because that is an important illustration as far as I'm concerned. 15.1, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to please ourselves. That is a simple statement there, but the word infirmities there, simply it has a definition, sometimes translated scruples, and it means an error arising from weakness. We ought to bear the errors of a person that arise from weakness. Now, what do you mean by that? We we uh, tolerate the errors of those in the body of Christ? Well, some of them. I've known of people, especially when I was a child. I grew up in Big Cove. That was a community that was very, very conservative. I know men there in the worship that knelt when they prayed. They thought you had to kneel when you prayed. I don't think we have anybody like that at West Huntsville. But what if we had a man or woman here that said, you got to kneel when you pray? I have, so they kneel when we pray. Do we withdraw fellowship from them? No. They can kneel when we pray if they want to. Long as they don't make me do it, no problem there. It's a matter of judgment. We ought to bear the infirmities or the scruples of the weak. That's an erroneous doctrine. When a person says, I have to kneel to pray. I can't pray without kneeling. Go ahead and do it. Violates no principle at all. Let it be done. But we have to, we have to love a person like that. We have to bear with a person like that. And when I look in the mirror and see James Andrews, I see some peculiar ideas that I have that you might not have, but they're personal ideas. And you don't chastise me for those ideas. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Uh, we are to, uh, to uh, edify him, build him up. The word edification means to build a house, by the way. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That is a big statement from Psalms chapter 96, I believe. It's on the board. I'll turn over here and look. Yeah, in chapter 69. Got that backwards there. And uh, David talked about that, seemingly speaking of himself, but really speaking of Christ. Christ fulfilled it. And uh, we're to bear the reproaches 
uh, of, in Jesus, he said of Jesus, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Reproach means, uh, to, uh, an insult intended to damage reputation, undeserved condemnation. And, uh, simply saying that, and this is so important here, simply saying that the reproaches, those who condemned me, who approached, reproached you, fell on me. They reproached you, but they fell on me, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I bore those sins or reproaches. And uh, if that's the case, then why shouldn't you do it? John 1.11, he came to his own, and his own received him not. Jesus came to the Jewish nation first. They rejected him. Even his brothers, John 7, 5, did not believe on him. John three fourteen, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We're talking about crucifixion here. Jesus Christ was crucified because of me and you. My reproaches fell on him. And then Second Corinthians five twenty one, he who know you know sin was made to be a sin offering for us, that should say that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the point is this. Paul is teaching us that Jesus Christ put up, a lot of, put up with a lot of things from us. What are you tolerating for your weaker brother or sister? Are you saying to the person who kneels in prayer, that's stupid, I'm not going to have anything to do with that person. Or a person who does something a little different than you, that is not wrong, I'm not going to have anything to do with that person. Paul said, no, and don't do it in such a way, don't deal with that person in such a way that you make that person stumble. Why do you kneel to prayer? Don't, don't, do, don't kneel to pray. And we have this brother who then is afraid to kneel to pray, and as he prays in his seat, it doesn't work for him. It violates his conscience. Paul said, don't do that. Let him kneel to pray if he wants to. That's his business. Romans 15, for whatsoever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the congregation of the church. With one mind and one mouth, we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because we are like-minded. You say, well, I'm not like-minded with that guy that has to kneel in prayer. Well, you can be. You don't have to kneel in prayer. But you can appreciate his doing it. And you can be like-minded with him. I grew up in a community that, by and large, the people believed, don't waste time studying the Old Testament. We're not under the law. My aunt called me years ago. She lived out in Huntsville. James, I want to ask you a question. Should we be studying the Old Testament? I said, yes, ma'am. I don't believe it. We're not saved by the Old Testament. We don't live by the Old Testament. I don't want to waste my time studying the Old Testament. Can you imagine You know what the Bible says? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Isn't it good to know how God worked in the Old Testament? If we really understood the Old Testament, there wouldn't be as much foolishness in religion as there is today. For example, in Exodus 19, uh, I don't think I have that on the board. I'm sorry. didn't plan to make a big deal of it here. But I'll go ahead and put it in anyway. Exodus 19 and verse 24, uh, God is getting ready to take, for Moses to take the Ten Commandments. And he said, put some uh, markers around this mountain. Do not let the people break through and come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. That is so insignificant about where a person stands and where he steps. I can stand here legally, right here. But if I stand here, that's illegal. I crossed the line. That's foolishness. No, it's God's law. God said, you you do that, you're breaking out toward me, I'll break out against you. That's not foolishness. That's what God said. It's the way it is. And I've always felt sorry for poor old Uzza. He and his brother Akia were moving the Ark of the Covenant. You know the story. I don't have to tell this in detail. David authorized it to be moved on an ox cart. It was a new ox cart, mind you. It was the best he could do. Two cows that had not been hitched to a cart before. They were the best. This is the best way to do it. And when the oxen stumbled, Uzzah did what I would have done had I been as close as he was He tried to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant and was struck dead. You hear people saying, that's not fair. Don't question an act of God. He is God and we're not. He knows what he's doing. David did not consult God. The next time David started to move the Ark, he said, bring the priest in. Let's see how to do it. Thank you, David. You would have saved the lives of A lot of people, if you had done that earlier, why didn't you do that? The uh, point here in uh, Romans 4, what's everything's written aforetime, we're written for our learning, that's everything. But throughout the Old Testament, the sin-salvation relationship was the theme. The salvation was in promise. While it is true, of course, that forgiveness was made in the Old Testament, payment was not made in the Old Testament. Animal sacrifices were not made for, for, for uh, payment for sin. They were made, and then God could send away sin into the wilderness, but not get rid of sin. They were not payment for sin. And these things in the Old Testament were written for our learning, We, through patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. We might see the real hope that is found in Jesus Christ. The uh, hope that we realize in the New Testament. Did the Old Testament people have hope? Only in promise they had hope. They did not have hope through the, the flesh. And that's what that covenant was called. It was a covenant of flesh. They did not have hope there. The only hope they had there was what would come out of that, that is the sending of Jesus Christ into the world. That was their hope, but it was not a realized hope. Romans 15 verse 6 teaches that uh, we should be patient one with another, have the same mind and one with one mouth and glorify God. 
Romans 15, verse 7, let's read that. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ has received us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant of circumcision. That is, a servant to the Jews, and that word servants, not doulaus, a, a special servant. It is a minister. For the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the Father, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That must have hurt when the Jews read that, because they didn't want the Gentiles to be any part of this. And uh, Jesus Christ became a a servant, a minister for the circumcision. They did with they, he brought the message to them and they did with him what they wanted to do. And that doesn't please us, but it is what happened. They put him to death. As a matter of fact, they put him to death and he helped them to do it. One of the most foolish things Jesus did from a political standpoint, as we would view it here, is he came into Jerusalem after being hidden out for a while and said, here I am. He went into the temple, which was a violation of the law, had he not been the Son of God, cleansed the temple, and they had every right to crucify him, they thought, because they did not admit that he was the Son of God. He violated a basic Jewish law. He profaned, in their mind, the temple of God and should be put to death. So he helped them. He helped them to crucify him. He made them crucify him. He had to be crucified. That's because of me and you. Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Okay, we're supposed to be like him. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Or he thought being equal with God, God was not a thing to be grasped. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, Coming in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. It was not a spear, it was not a sword, not a stone. It was a cross took his life. The most terrible death, the most shameful death that a person could endure. In Acts 28, Paul goes into Rome, or he goes into Italy, walks to Rome, and he is so happy because, because of what? Because he's going to preach the gospel to the Jews, and they're going to say, hey, this is great. We've been waiting for this story. But they didn't say that. They said, we've heard of you. We've heard of this man over in Jerusalem, and we don't believe it. Acts 8, 28, Paul said, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. What a terrible, terrible thought must have gone through the minds of the Jews because the Gentiles were not worthy of salvation. And of course, that's what the book of Romans is about. The book of Romans is about Jew and Gentile equality. There's no difference. And that's hard to get across. In the first century. I love Isaiah 62. Beginning from verse 1. For Zion's sake. I will not lay hold my peace. 
I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and the kings your glory. You shall be called a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. Isn't that amazing? You shall be called a new name. This is for Jew and Gentile too. Do you know when the name Christian was given? Well, it had to be Pentecost because no, it wasn't either. They didn't become Christians at Pentecost? Yeah, they did. Well, a few days later, no, no, no. It was a while later. Acts eleven twenty six, the city of Antioch of Syria. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, a Gentile church. A few Jews there, but mostly Gentiles. Some say, well, that's a, a name given in derision. I mean, the townspeople, these are Christians. I don't know how it was given, but I don't know who gave it. God gave them a new name, and that was the new name. How he brought it about, I don't know. I don't know how he brought it about, but I know he did it. That's the name he intended. You shall be called by a new name. Israel? No, no, no. You shall be called Christians. That includes Israel and the Gentiles as well. Those who continued in Moses' law were called the children of the flesh. Didn't mean they were wicked people, that they sought things of the flesh, but it meant the the religion they had was a fleshly religion. Talked about this before. The huge temple, the elaborate temple, the priestly system, the elaborate dress of the priests. All of these things were of, they appealed to the flesh. Were they a spiritual people? Of course they were, but primarily of the flesh. The spiritual people could not be justified on the basis of that law. So they had to be They had to wait for Jesus Christ to come. Verse 6, But it is not the word of God, it is not that the word of God has no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Paul is getting down to the nitty gritty. He said, okay, all of you people who are descendants of Abraham physically, that's not Israel. That's Israel politically. But that's not what we're talking about. Nor are they all children because they're seed of Abraham, he says. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. In Isaac shall your seed be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, those who are fleshly descendants of Abraham, those who are of the fleshly covenant, these are not children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as seed. That had to be a blow in the hearts of some of these people because they had an exclusive Israelite club and Paul just tore it down and let you and me in and looked at me and you and says, these people are children of Abraham and, and descendants of Abraham. You're not. Ouch, that hurts. Those who obeyed the gospel were Abraham's true seed. 
that believed on Jesus Christ as God's son, been repented of their sins, confessed him, and been baptized into him for the remission of sins. And the book of Acts tells that over and over again and shows how these physical descendants of Abraham became spiritual people. There's no other way to salvation. You can make up anything you want to. can pray as long as you want to. can boast as long as you want to. But it doesn't work. We have to believe, repent of our sins, confess Christ, and be baptized in order to be children of Abraham. It's just that easy. Every true seed has done that. Verse 10, and again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. I chuckled when I read the word peoples there. That's not a good word, you say. The only difference is that in the Bible it is plural. We don't think of talking about peoples and fishes and sheeps. But there's a time to do that. Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about Jesus talking about the fishes of the sea? doesn't mean there's a lot of fish. That's not what it means at all. There's a lot of kinds. Because see, words that are in the singular, like fish and sheep and people, when we put an S on those things, it has a different meaning. And here's the different meaning. In this congregation right here, we have several people. We also have several peoples. We have Irishmen. We have Africans, Englishmen, Samoans, Indians, and Germans. So we could talk about the peoples of the congregation of West Huntsville. And that's what he's saying right here. He's talking about the peoples. When he says this, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, Lord him, all ye peoples. The gospel is for peoples. It's not just for a lot of Jewish people. It is for nations, cultures across the globe. Verse 12, and again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may God, may the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Spirit. Spiritual revelation came in the first century to the church. The Spirit's miraculous indwelling caused men to be teachers that were inspired, prophets that were inspired, communicators, tongue speakers, speaking in language they had never learned, healers, other necessary works in the early church because the church was being set in its position. And when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part, those things would be done away. First Corinthians 13. And the perfect thing there, neuter gender, is the completed revelation, not Jesus Christ. Doesn't have anything to do with a person. Has to do with a, with a thing. And when you hold up your Bible, that is that which is perfect. It came, and we don't need partial revelations anymore. We don't have them. Verse 15, nevertheless, brethren. 
wait a minute, I think I need to do 14. I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you're also full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to admonish, warn, and exhort one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God and offering the Gentiles that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Again, things that many Jews didn't want to hear because they didn't see the Gentiles as being a part of this. It amazes me that the early church, some of the Jews in the early church, wanted the Gentiles to become Christians through Judaism. Except you be circumcised, you can't be a Christian. Oh, there was a big blowout about that, you remember. Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem and settle that. You don't have to go through Judaism to become a Christian. They didn't like that. All of them didn't accept it. Verse 17, therefore I have reason to glory or boast in Christ Jesus in things that pertain to God. I will not dare to speak of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Paul said, I will not take on myself any power or any, any, uh, credit for the Gentiles listening to the gospel and becoming Christians. I give all that power and glory to God. I boast through him mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God in that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Illyricum is northeast of Rome across the uh, Adriatic Sea, and uh, he had preached and worked there. Paul said, I just worked everywhere, and I love this so that I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. I like this. I wanted to preach the gospel, he said, where Christ had not been named. It's just a matter of judgment. There's a lot of people who don't want to go there. I've had people ask me, you know, and tell me, I, I've gone and moved into a community. It's in a state that doesn't have many churches of Christ. And I'm, I'm a hundred miles away from a congregation. What am I going to do? <clears throat> I guess I need to, uh, to start worshiping with some denomination. No, you don't either. Well, what am I going to do? You're going to start worshiping in your home. You might convert others. You might build a church there. But you know, some people seem to be quite incapable of doing that. When I say sometime I establish the church in a certain community, I'll say, that's ama- it's amazing, amazing that you can establish a church. All you have to do is preach the gospel and baptize people into Christ. That's the church. Becomes, I didn't do anything except go somewhere and preach and teach and gather people who want to obey God. And that becomes a church, a congregation of the Lord when you do that. But that's not the way some people want to do it. But Paul said, that's the way I want to do it. I don't want to preach somewhere else. Paul, if Paul lived now, he would want to come in west to, to West Huntsville be a preacher. Glenn's job would be safe with Paul. 
I don't need to come to West Huntsville. I don't want to build on somebody's foundation. I want to go where the gospel has not been preached. Some of us experienced that many years ago when the Iron Curtain fell. And I had the privilege of experiencing that. Going to places where the gospel had never been preached. It was utterly amazing. I went into a community one time and everybody was looking at me. And my guide said, they've never seen an American before. So how do we look different? You look very different. You're smiling for one thing. We don't smile over here. You're happy. We're not happy. I never will forget the Saturday afternoon where a meeting was called. And I said, who's coming to that meeting? Well, everybody did. It was a high school auditorium. Every seat filled. People around the wall. People looking in windows. What in the world is going on here? Well, have an American to look at. But it was a people that had never, never heard the gospel. It was a thrill. I love it. 1990, Demar went into Russia. You know, Demar is uh, an unusual man, as you probably know. I was in a small group of men the other day, and I mentioned that Demar and Oprah have something in common, and they all looked at me like, we're going to withdraw fellowship from you. And I said, the communists, you don't have to use the last name. Just use one name. Everybody knows who you're talking about. One of the men said, well, that's the only thing they have in common. I agree with that, too. But Demar went into uh, Russia in 1990 and found people who had never heard the gospel. Never heard the gospel. And you should hear the stories he has to tell. They were all atheists. And Demar presented a lesson on why I believe there's a God And the PhDs were coming to him saying, we never heard anything like that. Tell us more. One of the high government officials said, we need that in our schools. And he helped to set up a curriculum. These people had never heard anything about Christ, the gospel of Christ, for certain, certain not, certainly not. And I might say of Demar, I never worked with him in Europe But he made a way for me to go and set up a plan and instructed me. And I started my work down in Donetsk. The city that now is controlled by Putin entirely. And went on and worked in Kharkov as well. The city Putin is trying to control. I've done vacation Bible schools in public schools in Ukraine. Addressed classes. And entire school bodies about Jesus Christ in public schools in Ukraine. Try that in Huntsville. See how long it takes to get arrested. It is good to preach where nobody else has preached. Verse 22, for this reason, I also have been hindered from coming to you, probably because he was preaching where the gospel had not been preached, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, 
If first I may enjoy your company for a while, I must quickly say this, we have no record of Saul's, of Paul going to, to Spain. The book of Acts closes before his death, but tradition says he did. Tradition says he got out of that rented house that he had where he was kept, and he did go to, uh, to Spain to preach the gospel and came back, was rearrested and put in a dungeon and was beheaded by Nero. We don't know that's the case. That's the tradition. There is another tradition, and you people from that know the uh, community of Valdosta, Georgia, know there's a family there, a big family, a clan called the Weissenbakers. And they're from Germany, just above the Swiss Alps. And there's a tradition in their community that the Apostle Paul went through their community on his way to Spain. That has not been verified historically. It's a tradition. The Weisenbakers claim that. But now in verse 25, I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. Something you might not have noticed, those from Macedonia and Achaia were Gentiles. They were European Gentiles. And they're making a contribution to the saints in Jerusalem who've undergone a uh, famine, who are undergoing a famine. Can you believe that? Can you believe these Gentiles are turning their pockets wrong side out for the Jews in Jerusalem? They are. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. The Gentiles were saying, we owe this. We have an obligation to the Jews because they brought Christ into the world. We owe them this. It's our, it's our duty to give them this money. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Isn't the Bible wonderful? Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed them to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Already said it, no record that he did go to Spain. Book of Acts cuts off before that occurred, but there's a lot of feelings that he did. Now, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of my spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers, that you join with me in this struggle in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. His third missionary journey is going to end. He's going to be arrested in Jerusalem. He's going to be kept there and in Caesarea for a couple of years. And he's going to Rome as a prisoner. And of course, that's where our history closes. Paul doesn't know that's going to happen. Of course, God hasn't told him, but he intends to go beyond that, he said, you pray for me that that may be the case. 
Verse 33, now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. What a wonderful man. What a beautiful book. What beautiful thoughts. And what unity he promotes. I'm impressed with God's reluctance to make things happen between Jew and Gentile. He appointed Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles, Peter as an apostle to the Jews, and it is as if God backed up and said, okay, go ahead and do it. And we see all the struggles that go on. And God didn't step in and interview and say, okay, here's how it is. I'm not saying his hand was not in it, but I'm simply saying he didn't do that. He let them fuss and fight and grumble and growl all they wanted to. He knew that out of that would come some good thing. And when the temple was destroyed, AD 70, the church, which had been recognized as a Jewish cult, sect, Sadducees gone, Pharisees no good, Essenes not important, the church became something perceived as of Christ apart from Judaism. And thank God for that. That's the way God intended it. But he let that go on 40 years without stepping in and saying, here's the way it is. Stop this foolishness. I'm going to set it straight here. He never did that. He let them take the problems and grow with them. Mistakes, yes. But they lived through it. The church became a great, great organization. Thank you for listening so well. If you have any questions, don't, don't hesitate to ask. We'll deal with them as we have an opportunity. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for listening as we pray. Thank you for this great book of Paul that he wrote by inspiration of the Spirit. Help us to take this book, to learn from it daily, that we might understand our relationship to each other, the love we have for each other, and the sacrifice we make, sacrifices we make on behalf of our brethren. Continue with us, protect us. We pray through Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.